is root down on a Friday. Gus Cattengill, our guest now, ProNola segment. Gus from ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. You know him from everywhere. He's been all over the place for the last 20-plus years on the radio across the state, on here on Fridays. And joining me this morning on a Friday, Gus, man, uh, last week you were traveling. The week before it was Thanksgiving holiday. I have not had you on these airwaves in about three weeks, so uh, I know I know you and I chat, but our listeners have been worried sick about you. How, you, how, how are you feeling? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's Friday. It's the weekend. It's the holiday season. I know how much you get into the holidays. Uh, and, uh-huh. you know, kind of that Christmas spirit. This was a question we were kind of having fun with. What, what is, What's like the perfect Christmas gift? If, like, somebody wanted to give you – now, I say a perfect Christmas gift. Let's tie it into sports. If somebody was going to give you the perfect sports Christmas gift under the tree, what do you want Santa to bring you? The perfect one? Well, you know, huh. keep it keep it realistic here. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. I wasn't going to ask like, for a Cubs championship. But or, or a healthy Pelicans or Saints cool. team. You know, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'll say this. I, I do, and you know this already, especially with Junior turning – five this past week, dude, I uh, I definitely want to catch a game with him. So, I think a sweet gift under the tree would be, oh, man, where do you sit, right? Do you do the bleachers? Just depends how old he is, right? Like, where you sit? Maybe behind the dugout? Um, there you go. But yeah, I'd like to do a game with Wrigley with him. You know, all expenses paid, stay right nice. across the street at the hotel, across from Wrigley, so all I gotta do is walk across, hang out in the little play yard they got there, catch a game. That'd be fun. That'd be a pretty cool sports gift. If it came to the Saints and Pels, it's easy. We did this earlier in the week in terms of what Santa should bring those two teams. And, dude, it starts with health. I mean, I don't know how. If it's a big, giant Band-Aid kit, you know, like when you play video games, when you – Need help? You can recover it. You see the food, right, or right. Get, get, get like a, the old you know, Zelda game. Bandage. Just give them the give them the the, <laughs> the red elixir potion. Something. That's it. That is it. Because Fill it, up. it really, honestly, is. It's incredible. I mean, and I understand because look, injuries affect everybody. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has a what fractured toe. Uh, Kyler Murray, first place. You know, cards. He's missed games. He's a starting quarterback. So when you take a look at all the teams all around the league, they are suffering from injury. And it's just with the Saints, it's almost compounded. It's always a starter. It's not just a game. And it's just never-ending, you know, when you look at it like that. So health for that, and then obviously with the Pellets, it's simple. If this team would have remotely been healthy the last five years, six years, who knows where it would be and how different the fortunes have changed. And 
You wouldn't have a package on Inside the Lines on Wednesday detailing Zion and, you know, his inability to be on the court for the Pelicans. That's not a package you want to see when the highlights are him dunking, but in him limping, you know? So, hell, for the two local teams, for sure. No doubt about it. ESPN Lafayette. Uh, Zion Williamson, um, you know, we, we've talked about his conditioning quite a bit as it relates to uh, when he could come back, what he might look like when he comes back from the Pelicans. That on social media, for some, has turned into jokes and things like that, which, you know, I I, I should probably stay away from that. I think there's a line between, you know, I guess – mean jokes and actual uh, analysis of, of, of what it might look like. And there are pictures going around, and one of them was doctored and Hoop Center or whatever tweeted it. I mean, you're seeing other pictures. A guy used to work here uh, in this building, Speedy, and picture online of, of Zion with Speedy and his son. He walked up to his kid and said, I like your shoes, where he looks fit. I mean, I all the weight discussion aside, what I want to ask you, Gus, is when do you think he might be back? And what kind of impact is he going to have on this team when he comes back? That's a good question. Um, I honestly don't know when he'll be back in terms of, I know what was a kind of barometer for him to be back was him being able to have four practices where he could run up and down the court and, they not pass out after five minutes. Obviously, the obvious. Not experiencing pain, not experiencing soreness related to the injury, right? I mean, because I was saying that this week, and certain people are like, well, you're going to be sore if you haven't worked out. And I'm not talking about the first game after he plays, he's going to be sore. I'm talking about specifically like they are on the foot. Um, until... If that goes away, though, Scott, he can't run. So, it's, you know, they, they kind of made it seem like it was no big deal. We're just going to rest him for a week and then kind of try to build him back. But the problem is this. He hadn't gotten to a point where he can run up and down the court fully. He was doing three on three, one, four on four. But now he's not. So, I mean, Scott, realistically... I don't see him in December, you know. Um, The update this week was that, and and this is something that fans kind of maybe either picked apart or read into, and I don't know, just, Scott, I'd love to get your opinion on it. When Willie Green says, you know, the soreness is still there somewhat, and the the words were, and other things. What other things? Like, (laughs) what other things is he dealing with? So, that's something that kind of freaked a lot of people's ears. When Coach Green said dealing with soreness and, and other things. things. And other yeah. things. Jeez. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I don't even know what to say. At this point, anything is – is there anything at this point as far as this season goes as it pertains to Zion that would surprise you? Or are you at this point just open to anything? Because – the communication, you know, they, they sent out an email every now and then about a medical update, and then you hear something a week later about how well he had to leave practice. Like, it's so I, – I whether it be poor communication, whether it just or, – or maybe it's just such a fluid process, 
at this point, I'm just like, I'm going to enjoy it when he gets back out on the court. And in the meantime, I'm just not going to expect anything until it actually happens because one day it's, he's close. The next day it's, there's a setback. Like, what do you, what, what do you even do at this point? I think that's why too many people just, you know, are, are making, uh, you know, uh, poor jokes and, and other things because they, you know, what else are you going to talk about with them at this point? I, I, I hope he's on there sooner rather than later. Um, I'm trying to figure, you know, I'm trying to talk myself into various reasons to watch this team when I find myself watching them, Gus, because the season from a postseason standpoint, you're only in early December, but it feels like that's completely lost. You've seen some growth. You've seen some, you know, positives, whether it be Herb Jones, whether it be Valanciunas, whether it be uh, Ingram, who, you know, as of late has been playing better. And you try to find reasons to watch the team, but ultimately Zion regardless of conditioning, whatever, hell, when he is on the court, he still must see TV, regardless of the record. And and I, I hope we get to see him sooner rather than later. But at this point, I really don't think there's anything. You could you could tell me later today, oh, he's not going to play this year. You could tell me later today, all right, he's going to be back in a week. I would just be, okay, whatever. I mean, I, until, until something actually happens, I'm just going into it saying hope for the best, expect the worst, and don't be surprised by anything. So have they or he given you any other reasons to feel differently? No. I think that's the reality, you know. And you know, you asked Miller a bit ago too about when he was going to come back and what the expectation level is. The expectation level is so low for my end, where it's can he get however means with what we would think would be the starting five: Verb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Valen Junis, and I guess Avante Grant. Um, just to see if it works, to see how you handle the draft next year, to see what moves you're making for the agency, because that's where you are. I mean, that's your barometer right now. I mean, you can, you know, wish upon a star and all this other stuff that, hey, you're, you're within 10 games. Or, I hear you, but I also can't really. And when you're looking at the win-loss record, where they are right now. No, I said this going into the game when you looked at the Pelicans. They're seven and twenty. You know? I mean, after that loss to Denver, they're seven and twenty. Until you get to five hundred. I can't even think about that. And no. Scott, you're a baseball guy like I am. And you know in baseball you're gonna have stretches where you lose a couple of series. You have bad starts. You can make a run. Heck, we saw the Atlanta Braves do it last year and win the, the championship, right, Scott? Where yeah. was it in July? They were in like 10 games out or whatever. But no one's that many games below 500. And the way the Braves did it, Scott, is they essentially won like 15 of 16, 18 of 20. I mean, you they're going to have to go on one incredible run for them to get the 500. You know what I mean? I mean, they're going to have to win. I think I sat down early in the week. They have to win five games for every one loss, like four times or something like that in order to get to the 500. I mean, you're not going to win, you know, 15 straight or something. So I think if you win five for every one loss, I put them in, I think, almost February if they did that now. So, I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what those expectations are. You know, again, I, no one trusts 
what comes out of the organization. And no one knows when he's going to be ready. So when you have those two unknowns at those two levels, there's zero expectations for me. And to your point, absolutely nothing would surprise me. You go to tankathon.com, folks, <laughs> you can keep the track as to where the Pels are being right now. They have the third worst record. So the third best chance to win the lottery. They'd be picking three if they went the NFL way and went by record. And they have some pretty good, you know, players that you can choose from in the draft next year. It sucks to look at it that way. But, yeah, here we are, you know, December, early December, looking at how maybe the draft and other moves can help you on the ninth of this month. It stinks. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Gus Kattengill, our guest. We're going to talk Saints when we come back. Uh, speaking of stinks, the uh, health report, you get a couple guys back this week. Now COVID's hitting. You got the Jets on the road. Will they snap that five-game losing streak this Sunday? Will the losing ways continue? Is Russell Wilson even a possibility with the rumors that are out there next offseason? Who's likely to be under center? We're going to cover all of it when we come back right after this. I'm Scott. That is Gus. It is a Friday. This is ESPN Lafayette now at 1033 on the FM, 1420 on the AM, and streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. If you're listening online, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Will Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. We're back after this. Welcome back into the great Scott show on a Friday ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Getting back to our pro segment. It's Friday. Gus Kangio on the line with us. We talked a little pals. going to talk some saints, but before we do Gus, it's been a couple of weeks. I've been on your show a number of times, I guess this season. And you've asked me quite a bit about, Billy Napier, I, before we get into the Saints, I haven't gotten your thoughts yet on Napier being at Florida, on LSU hiring Brian Kelly, and sort of the coaching carousel, Michael Desimo being promoted at UL. The coaching carousel that is, um, you know, college football here in the state of Louisiana. What, what's What's been the uh, – how – let me ask you this. How much has it been discussed over there in, in New Orleans? Obviously the Brian Kelly thing quite a bit, but – was Napier discussed much when he took the Na- when he took the Florida job, and and what have the calls been like over there at ESPN one hundred point three? Yeah, I would say obviously a lot more around the time of the, all the different decisions and callers calling in. Um, so yeah, I mean his name obviously came up. Look, you know how I feel. I, I haven't made it a secret. It's the worst secret ever. I don't love it there. I mean, I just I wanted him so bad. And it's not even like I, I, mean, I didn't go to LSU to Southern Miss. I just uh, it just thinks that he leaves, leaves the stakes. I guess if that makes sense, right? Um, I think from 
the announcement, the way that both universities handled it, probably led by how he wanted it to be handled with a stark, drastic difference on how a couple miles east handled it. Now, I understand it. To this perspective, I'm LSU. I want my coach. I want it now. As Brian Kelly said, when you look at certain situations, it's never going to be easy to do that. Lincoln Riley left as well. You know, you see Crystal Ball from Oregon do it. See, we've seen it do it. You can say he abandoned them and stuff, but there's no mistaking the purposeful way of social media videos, tweets of the players celebrating. Sort of like over there at UL, Scott. You know, when Michael was introduced as the new head coach, you saw the reaction. Players went up and were excited that was one of their own. Same thing with Notre Dame. You saw them embrace Marcus Freeman. Not the case here. So, I I think Billy Napier, you and I talked about this on my show. I, I think he'll win a national championship. I truly, honestly do. And I think the ways already started started it, the higher Javar Jaluk, getting Corey Raymond yeah. away from LSU. Um, I was in massive topic yesterday, last night, earlier this morning, because it happened you know, yesterday afternoon with the Tigers assuming that he was going to stay. And, you know, insider saying it's about respect. He felt disrespected. And, you know, now Coach Napier has two names in the world of recruiting when it comes to Louisiana, especially South Louisiana. So that makes a ton of sense, man. They're good coaches to people, too. And I don't know how else you can't look at it as, as something positive, you know, and Scott, I know it was just interesting, though. It was kind of one of the topics I was bringing up on Thursday on the show. I think fans need to breathe, relax. You guys got it a little bit better because it's in-house, ready to play a bowl game, won a conference championship. Um, but the constant fan assessment of the state of the program by the hour on Twitter based on commitments, decommitments, and staff hires by the fan bases of some of these schools, there's almost to the point where I want to shut off Twitter. I mean, it's, it's because it wasn't, it's not just LSU people upset at some of the decommitments. As much as Billy Napier's gotten good pub, there are Gator fans that are, this guy's terrible. You see, he's not a, he's a terrible hire, doesn't know what he's doing because Florida lost two, three commitments. When you have different coaches, going different places, it's going to make sense. Um, you know, when Mickey Joseph left LSU, a receiver left, decommitted, miraculously, within an hour, Nebraska offered him, you know, a scholarship. So he went there. I mean, it makes sense because as I've always told people, the photos you see, Coach Napier or Kelly or Nick Saban, who was in Shreveport earlier this week, well, I think it was Kendrick Law, um, those are the big guys. Those are the cherry on top of a recruiting class. The overwhelming majority, 70, 80% of your roster, is recruited by the position coaches or the recruiting coordinator. That's why you saw Frank Wilson yesterday, finally, right? Saw something from LSU. He, there he is, shaking hands. You saw the deal he got. It's essentially like a head coaching job. 
Um, so that's how big that is, but your relationships are based with that. So if a position coach, the recruiting coordinator leaves that school, one way, shape, or form, fired, got another job elsewhere, you can expect those commitments to decommit and all that stuff. And it just trips me up, man, because, like I said, every single year, you'll see it next Wednesday, Scott, early signing period, love the kids, love, oh, this guy's going to do this. This guy's it. Then in February, this guy's it. First game of the season, drop pass, blown coverage, interception. They're bummed. They want the next guy. I mean, look at LSU's quarterback room. It's a joke. A couple of years ago, you had what, Brennan, T.J. Finley, and Max Johnson, along with Nussmeyer coming in. Now they have Nussmeyer. Everybody else is gone. And literally, per quarterback, the fan base thought he was the savior. So I don't, I don't, I don't know where fandom has gone right now, dude. Where it's almost unrealistic. And I feel for these kids to an extent, and that's why I was probably – not as pro transfer as I absolutely am now. Ain't no loyalty anywhere. Fans will turn on you. Coach can leave. I think players should do whatever's best for them. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Kangale, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott Show Pro Nola segment. Gus, the Saints. Are they? Let's just start right here with the Jets. Are the are the Saints finally going to win a game? Will they snap their five game losing streak this Sunday? It's crazy you said that. Coming in the morning at the gym on our show this week as a question of the day on social media: How many games are the next five can the Saints win? Scott, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh. I mean that that's not even just me. That's Stedman to my left. That's, you know, people that called on the air. I don't know. Amy Just, Ross Jackson, John Hendricks, Saints guys, and ladies that cover the team. I can't say or I don't know. And that is a real answer because I don't know. And you can't know. You can say they're winnable games out of the five. I think the Jets is winnable. I think the Panthers is winnable. I think the Falcons are winnable. Miami's playing better. Uh, Miami's playing good. They won five in a row. Right. And I'd be shocked if you beat the Bucs. So they're just a better team, okay? Don't bring up they they beat them. The wins that the Saints have had, Washington and before – Literally, we're done by a completely different team that you're seeing take the field. Especially on offense. If that makes any sense. So, when you look at it like that, that's why I don't know. Because I don't know. They're capable of it if they're healthy, if they play well. But we literally had a guest early in the week, last week. This was going into last week's game against Dallas, saying – you know, that watching Saints football can be almost like a drinking game, but things are changed. Instead of taking a shot or celebrating, you know, sipping apple juice or whatever you want, you don't have to be alcoholic, um, you celebrate a score. You're celebrating first downs. I mean, you're celebrating field goals like touchdowns. When, when 
you're doing that when the Saints offense is playing. That's um, that's a drastic change from where it's been. You add Deontay Harris being suspended for two games. Look, I know I know Alvin Kamara is expected to be back this week. That's nice, but the line's banged up. Who's the receivers? I mean, again, I'm firing the defensive coordinators of those five teams if they don't put eight people to try to stop Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara looks like he'll finally be back. Ryan Ramchick, we'll see. Theron Armstead, yes. Then you got Mark Ingram. Maybe not because of COVID. Cam Jordan never missed a game in his entire career. The the longest Ironman streak going for any non-specialist player in the NFL is Cam Jordan. That's in jeopardy. I mean, both guys are vaccinated. They need two negative tests, 24 hours apart to be able to play. But if they can't go, you finally get a few guys back, you lose a few more. Taysom Hill looks like he's going to play, but he's got a mallet finger. He's got a half-torn plantar fascia in his foot. He's got issues. The Jets aren't good. They've only won three games, but the Saints aren't good either. They've lost five in a row, and they are physically falling apart. You had some rest between, you know, longer rest between this upcoming game and last week, having it been on a Thursday. It, it, it. You know me, guys. I mean, I've been on your show. I mean, you, you've been asking me every week. Do you have the Saints winning this Sunday? And I've said no. I've said that during, I guess, four of these five. I mean, I thought they'd beat Atlanta. Uh, I didn't have them winning the other game. So, I just, I don't think like. I, I kind of lean toward yes because of Camara, but I get what you're saying in terms of I don't know because I don't know. I mean, I no one does. But what do you even expect? What is the game plan going to be? Is it going to be power run game? I mean, is that you're just going to go full power with Taysom, try to make something happen, mix it up? You're going to need to create turnovers. You're it, it, because the Jets are so bad. Obviously, the, look, the Saints are actually a five and a half point betting favorite in this one, despite how beat up they've been. I think what happens here, Gus, I'm going to just say I think the Saints win, but I think what's going to come with that is maybe maybe some false hope for some of the fan base. It's like, all right, one down. you got to get a winning streak. Get some people back. Maybe you can do this. Maybe you can do that. I think they're going to win Sunday, but I also think it's going to give a lot of fans false hope because I don't think it's going to be anything sustainable. And if they lose to the Jets, I won't even be surprised. But the Jets are a turnover machine, and uh, if the Saints get a few, I, I think they can. I think they can sneak out of New York with a win, which isn't anything to you know bang your chest about. Because after all, it's the Jets. But if you're the Saints right now, you, you take a win any way you can get it, right? Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's interesting too is Sean Payton this week, back on Wednesday, he talked about the tackling on the team. It hadn't been the best as of late, and I think the defense is wearing down a bit. Scott. I mean, you're asking a lot for them. You're having them on the field a ton. And like I said, I mean, I wasn't joking. When you're celebrating getting first down, when you're celebrating just getting a field goal, much less a touchdown, man, it's, that's rough. And look, I, it's crazy because I had a caller, I think Monday, Scott, and he was all upset. He was like, wow. I keep listening to your show. You got callers. Hey, we're getting this guy back. We can make a run. We can get the center seeds. Really a game out. Because it is incredible to think. One or two games go your way. You win. You literally go from both ends of the spectrum, right? If you lose to the Jets, you're abysmal. I mean, you lost to the Jets. I mean, it's terrible. 
if you win, we're back in the playoff race, Scott. We're back in it. I mean, it's not, that's where it is this year in the NFC. So they are not out of it, which is why I say if you win three of five, I think you got a shot and, and see how it shakes out. But that said, when you look at all of the different, not only scenarios, but more importantly, seeing if the team can somehow sustain, like you're saying, success, does it make sense, do you do it or not? I, the guy was calling basically Scott saying, hey, he wants to be a top 10 pick. Right now the Saints, I think, are 13th or something. Essentially, they could technically. Above them are the Panthers and the Falcons. So if they lose both of those games, you could move into the top 10. If the Saints, they win one of the next five. But I told him this. I said, I understand what you're saying, that you at least can reserve a spot in the top 10. You're not getting in the top five. So you're looking at best five to 10. Not even if you can get to six or five or seven. That said, when you look at it all, the history of the New Orleans Saints is a team that is very aggressive in the draft. They've moved up, diving forward to you name it. This year, Scott, they tried per reports, even though Peyton denies it, but there were way too many reports. They tried to move in the top five, right, to go get one of those top corners. So this team, knowing they have some serious deficiencies in certain areas that are fixable quickly and will put the Saints right back in contention. I think this defense is good enough to be a playoff-caliber defense and not championship with the right tinkering. I mean, you think of this, Scott. You have had a constant injury rotation, not a healthy rotation, at right defensive end. Same turn. Marcus Davenport's been an IR. Tino Passanow's been an IR. You've literally had that many people on IR at that defensive end. Has it affected Kane Jordan? I don't know. Um, but you haven't had anybody healthy on the other side. I think Father Time's caught up to Kent Jordan. So, say your defensive ends are healthier next year. Maybe you put one on the left end, one on the right end. Or you go get You found some corners that you're comfortable with. The salary cap's going up to 208, which means you can keep Marcus Williams and still go shopping. Because of that money, you can offer Aaron Rodgers. You can offer Russell Wilson. That might help your quarterback situation. The draft is chock full of receivers. I love Traylon Brooks from Arkansas, big physical receiver with some speed. But they, they got a ton of them. You can go get the receiver. I mean, depth at the O-line you can find in the second, third round. If not first, if you feel that. You and I have talked about it. What are you doing with Teron Armstead next year? Are you giving him another big contract extension? I'm not. He's never healthy. So, then do I move Ram check to left? Find another tackle in the draft or free agency? There's a lot of things you can do. So, I understand they tank it, but I also understand this. That culture, that environment that helped them win the previous, that has kept them together, is one that doesn't know anything other than ever do everything you can to try to win. So, not tanking. You may just lose good attrition. You may just lose because they don't have the players. And that could be our best for the girls. But in the Saints, they're going to try to win. And quite honestly, like I told the caller, I'd rather cover the team in the playoff hunt and playing in the playoffs than, than not. You know what I'm saying? So, 
I want him to win. I still think no matter what, Saints are going to make some noise in the offseason. They'll definitely make some noise in the draft. I totally believe that. Gus Catyell, our guest at ESPN Lafayette. Who who is who's the starting quarterback next year for the Saints? You you said Russell Wilson. Obviously, they would have to give up a ton to get him. And the cap. I know we make jokes in Mickey Loomis math, and the cap is going up. It's still a big cap hit, so you would have to lose some of the talent you have to to get him. And you know, right now the Saints don't have a ton of talent like they have in the past. So I I think it would be great. I certainly think there's interest there. I think Jameis Winston is going to be the starter week one next year on a one-year deal. Uh, that's my prediction here. And granted, it's subject to change based on if new information comes in. But but here on December 10th, that's where I'm rolling. Who do you think is the Saints starting quarterback to start the 2022 season? I think if I was like laying money in odds, um, I w- yeah, I'm with you. I think you could see a path, you could see a way that would make – that Jameis Winston is your starter simply because he won it last year, played well enough. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of how many times I've actually heard Sean Payton say I cried when I you know, saw him in the locker room. Like, you know, so there's an attachment to the player in terms of I think he, he believes in him and trusts him to an extent, right? Um, I think, again, as we've talked about in the past, the over-evaluation of the receiver position cost the Saints this year, probably cost how careful he was. And, again, but we also talked about, and even Drew did, um, at the TPC and also during Sunday Night Football, you know, when he first got here in 2006, this offense wasn't bombs away. They were 10-6. and six, They won games with defense, making some plays, coming back in the fourth quarter. It was in the next couple of years that you saw – Drew's familiarity, Drew's comfort, better receiving play. Colson won the rookie. You know, Lance Moore went from special teams by the time they went to the Super Bowl to a third down receiver. You had Meacham that was ready to go. Devery was better at catching the football. I mean, it took some time. So I don't think you can make an evaluation on Jameis and say, nope, he's not good enough to be the quarterback on this team with this system based off the absolute untalented roster he had, you know. But you did see, you, you saw glimpses, right? You saw that he could hit Deontay Harris. You saw that if, you know, the tight end can catch the ball is there. I mean, Juwan Johnson had a game with a couple of TDs. You saw some plays. So if he comes back and, man, I'm telling you, I know somebody that supposedly is next to him, and that guy keeps telling everybody he's not playing for this catch. I don't know if that's true or not. Or if that's just, you know, people making things up. But um, if he plays and they go get another receiver, that's enticing to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Wilson, because those two guys then can say, look at what Jameis is able to do, these other guys, the amount of games Sean's been able to win. It's a quarterback-friendly system. Sean Payton's a quarterback-friendly coach. There's communication, which seems to be the number one thing that a lot of these quarterbacks feel that they don't get. Um you know, from a lot of their organizations. So I think you're going to have a shot. It depends if Aaron Rodgers is to go back to California and play for San Francisco. It seems to be a destination. Um, I don't know if he trusts Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if you're getting much better with LaFleur. Uh, you know, from the people that cover the 49ers, they, they don't believe that that guy's a good coach. But can that offense sort of succeed? I don't know. Got a good defense. I keep hearing a lot about Pittsburgh. 
obviously, the respect for Tomlin. I think one of the Tyler and Rogers with is not only their relationship, the offense, but playing inside for nine games. Scott, you know, you nice. don't have to play in the cold. You don't have to play in the elements. You don't have to play in the weather. Sure. That could maybe sort of help that arm a little bit. I mean, look, look at Tampa with, with Tom Brady. I know it's outside, but it's warm. You know, your, your muscles are a little looser in the heat and humidity, Scott, than in the cold, you know, temperatures up in uh, New England and Pittsburgh and Green Bay and stuff. So, um, you know, the sunlight and, and the warmth, I don't know, but he, you know, he looks like he's on his way to an MVP or Aaron Rodgers. So, look, you're, you're, you're blowing up the phone for Aaron. Then you're making a call for Russell. And if those two things don't happen, because like you said, those are kind of out of your control in terms of what is Seattle going to request. Or they're sitting here saying, we know what we have, and we're going to ask for the farm, which they should. Are you willing to give the farm? That's up to you, but not in control of the asking price. Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be up to him. You can make a pitch. But with Jameis Winston, you do have control. With Jameis Winston, you can't offer him. I think he would probably be a two-year deal, Scott. I know what you're saying, a one, prove it year. But if I'm the player... You know, I'm going to try to at least get a two in case of injury, in case of something like that. But, yeah, I could see absolutely that. I, you know he wants to come back. And you know that there's an attachment already with the coach. So the realistic starting quarterback next year is Jameis Winston, I think. Because then that way you can really go shopping and go do a lot of different things. Uh, the wish list, obviously, is Aaron Rodgers and probably second Russell Wilson. ESPN Lafayette, Gus Cangale, our guest. All right, Gus, I, I got to ask you this question, and, and then I'm going to let you run, and I got to give it its proper credit. So you and I both know Ralph Malbro. Uh, Ralph used to work at the same company we worked for m- many years ago, and Ralph hosts the Saints Happy Hour podcast with their crew, and one of the guys on that podcast, Dave, he posed this question that it, it's it's too funny not to ask you. Uh, Kenny Stills was 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 released this past week by the Saints, and uh, he was released even though even after they lost Deontay Harris for three games. So when you're released on top of losing Harris for a team with receivers that are this below average, I think that's pretty telling. If Jason David were to guard Kenny Stills, who who who's making the play? How does this play end here? I mean. That credit to Boy, Dave for that um, question, but that's that's a great one. Having watched, I, I you know what I, I'm. I don't know if it's worse than Toast Thomas, right? I mean, wasn't it Fred Toast Thomas was hey, his name? Th- th- I mean, but Thomas at least had some seasons under Haslett where he was he was okay. I mean, in two seasons, poor Jason David, he was a pro. He he handled it. You know, he never ran from it. But, man, I mean, you're talking about two of the worst seasons by a, by a DB in Saints history. I mean, I, I think Kenny Stills, I mean, the way he was playing this year, I feel like I feel like he would have just – I feel like the ball would have bounced off of Kenny Stills' hands and then Jason David would have, you know, just – He would have been five yards away from him, but he would have gotten the interception. Like, that's where I'm going with it. It would bounce off of Stills' hands. And Day, uh, Day, David would have uh, gotten the interception even though he was five yards away. He'd probably return it for a touchdown or something. Tell you what, that, that is an interesting matchup. I, I would say this. I mean, Kenny did make some plays early on in his career and stuff. So, I mean, I guess if you're going – The first run. I'm talking about present. Time, I'm talking about yeah. this year's Kenny Stills. Yeah. <laughs> 
dude, I, I, that guy named Jenny catches for the same thing. I don't understand it, man. I, it's just, it's crazy. When, when you look at the way this season is gone, it's almost like literally some guys have forgotten how to play football. I, I honestly, it's mind boggling, you know? And look, that catch that Sean is a little upset about in Dallas, I wasn't exactly the easiest throw and the easiest spot. I mean, I guess you can argue, man, you're in the NFL. Hit your hands, you catch it. I get it. That thing had no arc on it. In between two defenders. I mean, it's that wasn't like you know dropping a screen pass or you know wide open route where you're just standing there. But you know, whether it was Winston, whether it was Trevor, whether it was Payson, Danny still didn't catch the ball for anybody. So. I, I guess if I had to make a choice, I honestly still would say Stills. All right. There he is. Be stills my heart. That is Gus Kangel, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. <laughs> we got to let you run, my friend. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Good to catch up. Uh, we'll do it again next week, a week after. We won't because uh, we'll be uh, out and about for the Christmas holiday. And then the week after that, we got New Year's. So at some point, we'll try to get you in maybe – uh, the second half of the month, maybe on a different day. But in the meantime, man, I'm going to let you get back to the workout. Uh, check out Gus every weekday, noon to 3, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Online, follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17, G-K-A-T-T underscore 17. And if you want to send him a Christmas present, Cracklins from this great area in Acadiana are always welcome in his stocking. <laughs> That is, you know, look, I, I watched the Santa Claus earlier this week, you know, with Tim Allen, and you know, he was standing on that way with Christmas cookies and milk, man. I, I think I could I could make a good run. He, I think he would put on like 40 pounds in two days or in a week. So, What's you your know, favorite Christmas could, movie? Is that is that your – what's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, that's crazy. I, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I liked that one. It was a good one. We watched Home Alone on a team bus. Home Alone's classic. In Denver. It's classic. That was always, I mean, it honestly is a good one. We watched the one in New York, which is oh, a good one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've seen that one. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. I've seen the original many times. I mean, my kid thinks it's the funniest thing ever, just adults in pain. What's your yeah. favorite Christmas movie? Uh, you know, I, I, I go between, like, It's a Wonderful Life and then Bad Santa. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, there's they're very different movies. <laughs> they're very different movies. Yeah. But they're Very both they're both people. they're both brilliant, you know. I feel like they're both yeah. classics in in their own right. That's just me. <laughs> See, now you're gonna make me gonna watch that. Um, Why you know White I, Christmas? I, I it's I, a, it's an old musical. Most people listening, right. you know, they probably don't listen to old musicals. But White Christmas, I mean, snow, 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 I, snow. I, I do. I mean, it's classic. I do still like the. Um, no, I just had it in my head. It's uh. Nashville and Boone's Christmas vacation is always funny. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's, that's a good one. That's a good I one. I mean, the tree catching on fire. I mean, it's just that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, a Christmas story, I mean, you shoot your eye out. I, I honestly can never always just, I love it, you know? Oh, fudge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fudge. Oh, I mean, I, man. You know? I mean, because... All Carver wants from Santa Claus is the Hot Wheels Ultimate Girl. I mean, he memorizes the entire commercial word for word. There's, you know, Daddy, I've got to have the Ultimate Hot Wheels car garage with the dinosaur, and it's got to be built, and Santa's got to put it by the tree. So, I mean, you know, I understand. There, there, the BB gun? 
open yeah. their garage. I, I I never got into it as much as a lot of people did, but I know it's I know it's a favorite. Like when we were young, we watched a movie a lot that no one listening has probably ever seen. It was called One Magic Christmas. It's from like 1985. Mary Steenburgen's in it, and like it's basically like she she's hating life, and then. She re- like as negative as she is, and, and their their family struggling, and it's rated G, but it was very dramatic as a kid because it wouldn't be rated G now. There's a sequence where like has to stop a bank robbery, and he gets shot and killed, and the like bank robber like drives off with her children, and it's very dramatic. It's very sad, but then she starts to sort of appreciate life more, and there's this angel that it steals the it's a wonderful life thing. Like the angel lets her go back. And so then it goes back to, you know, Christmas Eve and her husband's there and the kids are there. And now she's reliving this day, appreciating sort of Christmas and what it's all about. And she gets this totally different perspective. So it's actually a very feel good movie, but it was a ton when I was a kid. And I don't know, it's, 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 it's old. No one's heard of it. But if you're looking for a new Christmas movie this year, maybe give it a shot. Although if you're watching with young, young children and you see rated G, just be warned. They might be, they, they, they might be, um, you know, a little traumatized whenever they see someone get shot and kids get kidnapped. They don't, they don't, they don't make G movies like that anymore, Gus. No, I, I'll say this. I also like Scrooge. Scrooge is a good one. Too. Classic, classic. A Christmas Carol. I mean, just the the, the original Christmas one with that Carol. with George C. Scott. You know, as Ebenezer Scrooge. See, now now we're totally deep down the rabbit hole of Christmas movies. I'm not going to do the dumb die hard question that everyone asks. I'm going to let you run. Ask you that though. I mean, that's that's the key. <laughs> Can you find it a Christmas movie or not? Right. I mean. But uh, I like the Die Hard movies. Of course. Anytime I can watch right. Die Hard, and if you want to put it in the seasonal serial things, because, I mean, it does take place. I, 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 die, <laughs> the best Die Hard movie is Die Hard 3 with a Vengeance. I love that one. Jeremy Irons is terrific, Bruce. I love that Die Hard movie. The original is great, too. Oh, yeah. Give me Die Hard 3 all day. Gus Cattengill, every Friday right here, Ponola segment. We're going to let you run, my friend. All the best. Uh, again, happy belated birthday to your son. I know he celebrated year number five this past week. We'll talk to you again next week, man. All the best, and I'll uh, I'll catch you soon. Thank you as always, Scott. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for our Pronola segment with Gus Cattengill. Take a timeout. Come back. Open up phone lines, 269-1077. We'll take a look at NFL Week 14 matchups. Make our picks. State championship games coming up this weekend. Westgate is playing. We're going to uh, hit on uh, Cajun Hoops as well. They got games this weekend, both uh, both the uh, the men and the women. So that's all coming your way. A little Home Alone theme for you here. Why not? This is the great Scott Show. On a Friday, I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Oh, one more teaser for you. My man, Chris Lano. Raise your Cajun analyst. A lot of Cajun fans out there rooting for Cincinnati in the college football playoff because they want to see a G5 team somehow do it. He brought up a good point to me that I hadn't even thought about. Of maybe why Cajun fans should root against Cincinnati. I'll explain next. This is ESPN Lafayette the best ticket in sports?